welcome to Millennial Balkan, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hwai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts. I am Anya Crittenton, a writer at Gaystar News. And I am Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Avengers, assemble. <laughs> We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're talking. We're talking Endgame. We've made it. We're, that's that's the lower. You, you guys know the deal. The deal. Every month we pick like a movie to review. We're reviewing Avengers there Endgame. There's no other. There's no other movie. Like we could do. I mean, there was another movie that I loved, Shazam. but we won't. I guess that would be a very different episode. It would be a very different episode. Although, very... spoiler alert for this episode: HT and I are going to get into it again. Are we? Oh, oh what over? Oh, I know why. Oh, yeah. over the moment that I tweeted about? Okay, I think a specific character that you have loved well, since we're gonna get to it. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is going to be... All right. All right, yeah. I see how it okay. is, Anya. So, let's, let's go through the normal hum, uh, mumbo-jumbo. The, the Avengers Endgame was directed by the Russo brothers, Joe and Anthony. It was directed by... Christopher Marcus written. and Stephen McFeely? Written by them. Written by them. Did I say directed by directed them? again. Yeah. Well, it, it, everyone directed something in this movie because it, there were a thousand characters. Um, uh, yeah, it was. they were written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who have written uh, a lot of cat films, uh, a lot of... Uh, they Actually, I think they wrote Thor The Dark World as well with another guy. Um they, they've been around the, the this combo this four person combo have been around since uh cap two phase two all this jazz and it, it stars a whole heck of a lot of people there are so I mean, many. Like, half, like half if you guys remember the cast of infinity war like half that and then you're good um half like that half plus Hollywood. captain marvel <laughs> yeah half plus captain marvel um so I guess Endgame, uh, we're going to do some light, spoiler-free thoughts, as much as we could be spoiler-free as as we can be. Although, I would say we just get away with it because uh, everyone and their mother has seen this movie. It's already made over a billion dollars worldwide, and it's uh, Sunday. Um, And so we'll we'll talk about our our experiences and thoughts of the movie and then dive into a spoiler-filled review because... Oh boy, we need it. Um, this movie has a lot of plot, a lot of characters, and a lot of themes, and we'll we'll get into all of those. Um, Will be. I want to hear your thoughts first. I um, okay. so you go ahead. Well, I, right before right before we started recording, I told them that just uh, just like Anya can't really be objective about Captain Marvel the film. I don't think I could be objective about this movie, uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, a lot of this movie depends on the previous 21 films in terms of, like, plot and payoff and nostalgia and callbacks. And as someone who loves that shit, uh, this gave me everything I wanted and more, things I didn't know I wanted and things I got, that um, a lot of references to other movies that made it into plot. Like, um, we'll get into the middle third of this movie, but there's a lot of... Um, a certain 80s time travel movie uh, that has a lot to do with it. There's um, great character work going on here and some great final performances that we'll talk about. And 
I think that this movie just genuinely excels on all all, all cylinders. Um, I think that the first third of the movie is probably the roughest third, oh, even though it is also... A... I disagree with you. The first well, third is my favorite part of this movie. This is Okay, this is what I'm saying. Rough is a relative term. Because I think it still works really well. It's just the other two parts are extremely better. Um, I still disagree yeah. with you. <laughs> well, well, I mean, this is fine. That's but, but, it's, this is your part. That's how we do it. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I, I love this whole movie. I loved every part of it. Um, and I think that once things get going in the second act, it is it, it, it excels in that. And I guess what I'm saying is that it's quieter and slower and i like that but i think that where the movie excels for me is really in the later part of the film where the, where payoffs start paying off and things start happening um and then uh what else i mean it's just uh, chris chris evans knocks it out of the park robert downey jr uh deserves a thousand oscars for his performance in this movie um i think everyone does their best uh and just brings it and there's there's a shot at the very end of this film one of the shots at the very end of this film that reminds me of a certain shot from last jedi and when i saw that in imax theaters i wept and i was like oh this is beautiful and i love this and i can't wait to talk about this with you guys so i love this movie it is great it's a great avengers movie it's a great marvel film it's a great captain america movie it's a great iron man movie um and and before we get and, and then there's it, other great mo- types of movies, but we can't talk about it until we get to spoilers. So that's my thoughts. It's perfect. What about you guys? Anya, I you go will next. go next because um, I feel like um, I don't know what I feel like. I feel like a lot of things. Um, I love this film. Um, any of the complaints I have about it tend to do with me being a lifelong Marvel fan and just having, like, character biases. And so, like, I can separate them from the actual film. So it's, like, my complaints are sort of, like, personal and I they don't, like, make or break the film, if that makes sense. Um, I think my biggest takeaway, honestly, since I've seen this movie and it's been a few days now, is that... I'm just astonished that this film exists and I'm astonished that it exists as well as it does. It feels like an 11 year send off. It feels satisfying. It feels epic. It feels like it is paying tribute to fans while not being gratuitous. I feel like this movie used its nostalgia and its callbacks to advance plot and character arcs. Um, Thor especially stood out for me. Uh, but so did Cap and Tony. I thought, you know, your big trio um, really had satisfying conclusions. Um, I'm just, I'm really just amazed this movie. Like, there was so much writing on this movie and so many ways it could have crashed and burned. And um, I am not the biggest Infinity War fan. And I thought Endgame was marvelous. Pun intended. Hey. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just astonished and amazed and incredibly grateful. You know, even, even this film has imperfections, but, you know, like Willoughby, it is hard for me to be objective as a lifelong Marvel fan and as someone, you know, who saw the first Iron Man opening weekend um, and remembered how 
thrilled I felt when I walked out of that theater in 2008. And so I think I'm just grateful that like, even though there have been ups and downs throughout this whole journey, this ending feels right and it feels good. And I'm just so amazed that we even got to go on it at all. I, like, I, I cannot believe the MCU exists, honestly. Um, I am kind of basically in Anya's boat. I was very, very pleasantly surprised to see how much I enjoyed this film and how much it just, like, gave me utter like, giddy glee to watch all these characters get such satisfying arcs and endings. Um, it is just, like, a miracle of a movie, honestly, to pull off the storytelling that it does, 11 years worth of storytelling, and a, to be able to give its main characters all these satisfying arcs and endings uh, while pulling off this kind of spectacle that um, I felt like was kind of, was sort of lacking in uh, Marvel movies to up till now. Um, I think if you compare, for example, the battle in Infinity War to the battle in Endgame, there's just so much more emotion riding on this. And Infinity War was also something that I did not really enjoy. I just didn't think that Infinity War was really a movie. It was just a collection of cool moments. But this Endgame feels like it's about something. And I I really love that. I think that that meaning and that first um, first half, like the first third, was something that really pulled me in just because of like almost how meditative it was. It took Agreed. its time. And yeah. I really, really like that. That's something you see so rarely in superhero movies, especially in Marvel movies where like they have to go f- move forward at a very brisk pace and it has to be funny and it has to be uh, smart and it has to do all those things in the first like 10 minutes. Um, but here it allows you just to sit with the characters and their grief. And I enjoyed that immensely. I also do have my problems with some of the character arcs, uh, some of the choices made, and some of the um, moments where like Marvel kind of pats himself on the back and it's not quite that satisfying. But overall, it's just an immensely satisfying experience, and I'm just really happy that this film like was able to pull it off. Yeah, I will say that when I say the first third for me was rough was a bad choice i Mm -hmm. guess i was trying to say that it was different than i was expecting Mm. so it sort of threw me off my rhythm there Um, yeah it's definitely not like the big spectacle that the rest of the film is right like the the last two thirds are kind of i mean i was definitely expecting it to be mournful because of what happens in infinity war but um i guess because they built up everything that's in the trailers is in the first 15 minutes of the movie so Mm -hmm. i was like what now and so i was sort of like getting my bearings back and i really loved the first third Mm. um and that but i think that for me personally the second two because i'm a i'm a huge nostalgia fan um it was just sort of like what i wanted all right um with that let's jump into the spoiler part of our review we're going to be breaking up this review by plot theme and characters not necessarily in that order because we just kind of go however order we want but um we will talk about all three though we will talk about all three why don't we start off with the characters this time because the characters yeah. i think are the driving force of this movie um yeah so Can we start with the main trio yeah because i feel like that's it's it's their kind of it's their movie their... hawkeye black widow and hulk yeah, yeah. man <laughs> um so i think i mean let's start out with tony because he's the one who started it all really he is and... he's, i am iron man i mean robert downey jr do you guys remember when this movie came out in 2008 
and it was like yeah, yeah I did. Robert Downey Jr. It changed ages, my life because like you know drugs and jail and like yeah. other life things. You happening. know, at the time I didn't even know who Robert Downey Jr. was. Neither because a lot like, of us didn't before my time. He was yeah, he was before our time, and he showed up and like like I said, I had been a Marvel fan, but like. You know, so I knew Iron Man, but he was never one of my, like, favorites. I, I grew up, first and foremost, on the X-Men. Um, so I knew of Iron Man, but I wasn't, like, super in the know. And so I went into this movie, and I was just like, oh, my God. This is this is special. Like, Robert Downey Jr. is special, and him in this role is special. And I feel extremely satisfied with his conclusion. Yeah. What about I, you guys? Oh, yeah, for sure. Tony was yep. just, like, the heart of this movie, and his arc really was the movie's arc in general. I mean, him and Steve, but I feel like Tony is, is, special. is special. Yeah, because he, he's yep. the one who started it all. And it just feels so fitting that, like, his you know, final line against Thanos was, I'm Iron Man. It was, what, it was a callback that made me even just, like, tear up. A little bit. I'm not that I'm a cold-hearted person or anything. I feel like I've gotten like a bad reputation for being like, oh, superhero movies suck, except for Shazam. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, it well, was... I was bawling at the end of this movie like multiple times. Mm-hmm. No, oh, for sure. Yeah. I was crying. <laughs> I can't remember the first time I teared up. It might have been in... Okay, we're in a spoiler section. It was probably in the 1970s. Um and then more so once the battle, once what uh, Cap wheels Molnir, it was just oh I'm gone. Yeah, yeah it. I'm, I'm just here for I'm just here. I I don't have any tissues. My face is gonna be destroyed by the end of this film. I cried many many a time. But yeah, Tony was just um, so phenomenal, and Robert Downey Jr. was so good in this oh, role. So good. Like I especially love when we first when we see him at the beginning, and he's just like. Um, you know, like emaciated. Yeah, he's emaciated, yeah. and from like the space travel, and he returns, and he's just like a broken man. And Robert Downey Jr. plays that so well, and that healing process that he goes through that we see that happens off screen. You can see everything that happened, how he's still just kind of um, recovering from the scars that uh, were left by him failing the universe, and uh, it is about him trying to trying to get back into that hero life and not really being able to um, to totally give up the new life that he's made for himself and yet still wanting to put that armor around the world, like he said. And um, it's, it's just so beautiful. Like that sacrifice, it is echoing of that sacrifice that he makes in Avengers, 2012 yeah. Avengers. And it just seems, it's so poetic the way that it all comes together for him. Yeah. It's the but- same music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so emotional, and because like, but it is a different sacrifice. Because like, the Tony who sacrifices himself here is the different Tony. Mm-hmm. He is a Tony who has struggled with PTSD, who has finally made a life for himself with Pepper, mm-hmm. and they have a daughter, and he has found those things, you know, worth living for. Yeah. The, the deeper, deeper things. He has much more um, to lose this time around. Yeah, and. And he does, and, you know, I, I love that Pepper supports him in that and that she's the one who's like, you wouldn't be able to rest if you didn't yeah. do this love, because that's Tony. I love he's that. A, he's a fixer. I love that when he is dying, she, like, smiles to him because she doesn't want the last thing for him to see to be her crying. And it and was she something... She's for her long-lost boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And she tells him that he can rest. And it's true because the Tony we have known the past 11 years is a Tony who hasn't rested ever. He's always been a restless soul. Yeah. And now finally, you know, he was starting to kind of rest a little bit with his little family life. But, you know, he couldn't rest completely. And now, you know, he could knowing that he has made a better future for mm. his daughter mm-hmm. and for his family and his friends. Yes. Yep. Um, I also want to just shout out, I tweeted about this, but I cannot stop thinking about the scene where Happy is talking to Morgan at the funeral and she tells him that she wants a cheeseburger, which is a callback to the first Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, like I tweeted, we would not be here right now without John Favreau. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, we can say Stanley and Jack Kirby, but, like, you know, they're not the ones deciding to make a movie and make a cinematic universe, um, as great as they are. Um, But, you know, John Favreau, like, took a risk Mm -hmm. in 2008. Like, he he was like, I'm going to bring back this actor that was, like, formerly disgraced. I'm going to make a movie about a superhero that not many people know. Like, he's not a Batman. He's not a Superman. And I'm going to make this movie about him. And we are going to start planting seeds for an extended universe in the very first post-credits MCU scene ever. It's honestly a miracle that Iron Man succeeded in the first place because I remember all the production issues that went into it that, like, you know, a lot of the movie is improvised. The script kept changing throughout the production. And it's just something that is the foundation for something so great today. Yeah, and so I just... I mean, like I said, I, I have a lot of gratitude right now. Um, and, and part of that is to John Favreau um, and the risk he was willing to take. And I just, like, if I could ask him anything, I would just ask him how he felt in that scene filming uh, Happy and Morgan and, like, talking about the cheeseburger and, like, knowing that, like, he was the one who started all of this. Mm, and That would be a wonderful just, question. Hey, guess who's crying now? Me, I know, I'm, like, me. I'm crying again. I'm just so... And we haven't even gotten to Captain America. I'm just so grateful. And... <sighs> it's a lot. Let's, we're here. We, we're we're going to do this together. This movie is so good. All right, so, let's move on to Steve, Mr. Rogers. Willoughby. Right. Because that won't make us any less emotional. <laughs> Willoughby, tell me why you loved Steve's arc in this film so much. So, 2011, Captain America comes out, and he at the he doesn't get to have a date with Peggy Carter, and that that is like he didn't know that he'd be going under for 70 years and or ever wake up, you know, and he I, like I've always had this like like long back of the head thought like oh wouldn't it be great if he you know was able to either like go back in time or do something to like have his his dance with peggy and like have a life with her or something and like we kind of got that weird dream sequence in age of ultron that sort of gave this like this like the wish fulfillment but it's it's like a dark twisted version because it's sort of like the it's wanda trying to break apart the avengers so steve has this dance with peggy but it's distorted and um not of what, not like, not what he wanted, and it's and it, it was all about like the war is over, we can go home, and that line, sort of, like we can have our qualms of Age of Ultron, like that's something driving Steve is that he's always going to try and get closure with his life, and he does, he never knows what he 
wants except to like keep moving and with like winter soldier he tries to move on because peggy is older and he and he and bucky's back and there's like so much going on there in civil war she passes away and the avengers are broken up and like steve's personal journey like you have to think that even though world war ii was only was 75 years ago for us for him it was like three years prior or like it's still fresh in his mind his his present is is world war ii and the modern day and he's always been at to quote loki a man out of time and he finally gets to go back to his time and he gets to live out an, a life and he gets to look like joe biden by the end of it <laughs> and he gets to give steve he gets to give sam the shield he gets to pass on his legacy as captain america to sam wilson as he does in the comics and he, the final shot of this movie is him finally getting the closure with Peggy that he has sorely deserved for for eight years now. Like it's something magical that they were able to do this sort of like I wouldn't say fan service or wish fulfillment because it's sort of the like natural plot progression. Like mm. how does Captain America stop fighting? He doesn't. But what you what what he does is that he's able to go back to his own time and live out the life that he thought he was going to live out um and not just not to say that everything he did in the present wasn't worth it because it totally was he saved the future he saved everyone he did his and part. he did his part and he's worthy that's the thing yeah yes. he's worthy wielding mjolnir and it's something that was teased in age of ultron it was brought to fruition here he's like the perfect person and i think that a perfect person deserves their happy ending. He got his happy ever after. And I think that's wonderful. It's something that you never get to see with superheroes in the comics and the movies. You know, this is all about IP. It's all about keep it, making these movies. And with these specifically the original six Avengers, Hawkeye is probably getting his own. He's getting his TV show, but like these it's done for them. Like it's over. And with cap getting to the happy ending, he's wanted forever. I think this is beautiful and tony getting to sacrifice himself he's he's i mean he made the sacrifice play in avengers but he finally got to like save the world again with the same move and it worked again he's it's so perfect um and yeah i uh i i don't know what else to say except that i think that cap's journey was complete and it's great and it's wonderful and i'm crying on a podcast with my two best friends yay but before we go back further into steve i just want to pour one out for agent susa from agent carter who uh, (laughs) yeah and also for um sharon carter those two um, less so for sharon carter because she was kind of forgettable in the first place but susa he deserves he deserves happiness i hope he's happy somewhere with a lady just almost as good as peggy carter Although no one can be as good as Peggy Carter, but they can try. They can try. Um, I I feel that. Um, you know, Willoughby, when you were talking, it made me it made me realize, you know, how much Steve's story in this and arc is parallel to Tony's in that, like, they both get to rest at the end. Like, they both get to say, we have done our time, like, saving this world. Like, when when do we get to pass the mantle and say it's time to rest. It's time for us to sit down. Like we can't do this our whole lives. Um, And 
you know, both of them fought their entire lives, you know, albeit from different places some at some points and different morals and, you know, but it just like Tony did, like Steve finally got to rest and he got to live. Um, and this is gonna, I'm gonna mention my first little qualm with the film. Mm. Um, and again, take this with the knowledge that I am a biased fan and this does not ruin the movie in any way for me. Um, it's just kind of like a personal wish sort of as it were. Um, I love that Sam has a shield. I think a black Captain America is what we need right now and what the franchise needs. And I think it is perfect that Sam has the shield. Um, he is cap in the comics. Um, and so what I'm about to say has nothing to do with that. They have been wasting Sebastian Stan. They really have. And they have been wasting Bucky. And the fact that we didn't get a proper emotional closure send-off between Bucky and Steve, as a fan, to me, is... uh, To me, as a fan, is very disappointing. Um, And it has nothing to do with, like, the no-homo, like, queer-baiting. Like, I I do ship them, but, like, I I realize that's fan and, and, like, I'm not asking for that. But... Look at all three Captain America movies. In every single one of those, Steve is risking his life for Bucky. Bucky has been a driving force for Steve, and their relationship has been critical. And I just wanted at least one one scene of the two of them having closure and, like, giving the fans closure because Bucky has been so critical to Steve. And in the past couple films... Sebastian Stan has barely been in them. This one, it makes a little more sense. Um, but I'm like, for a nine-movie contract, this boy is, like, using some of those nine movies on, like, a minute of screen time. Yeah, that moment also kind of, I want to say rubbed me the wrong way, but kind of, uh, you know, made me raise my eyebrow because while it was gracious of, of Bucky to be like, you go first, Sam, the fact that he and that Bucky and Steve didn't even have a moment when Bucky played a much more pivotal part in Steve's life than Sam did. Like, Sam was important. He was, like, a good right-hand man, and he was, like, a good new friend to him. But right. he's not Bucky. And I felt right. like that was strange to me. I felt like that moment was a little bit too much, like, oh, we have to follow the comics and make Sam the next Captain Even America. Even though Bucky, Bucky is also Captain America at some point. Yeah. And, I, again, I don't need Bucky to be Captain America. I think it makes more sense to be Sam, mm. have the shield right now, and it's better. But... Yeah, Bucky, and again, I admit I'm biased. I'm a huge Bucky Barnes fan. Like, maybe even bigger than Steve Rogers. Like, I love Bucky. But it just, it it felt a little, I don't know if they just assumed that Civil War was our closure on their relationship. Well, this but... might, this will actually go into a larger, larger complaint I have with some of, like, the, the overall parts of this, like, qualms of this movie, in that it sometimes will go in for the big moment at risk of sacrificing some actual earned character moments. Uh, give me an give us an example, HT. Um well beyond this, Bucky, because I think Bucky with is Bucky one of them. and then with the the girl power moment, which mm-hmm. was something that for me rang a little bit false and a little hollow. You don't love Peter and all his moms? Yeah, Peter and his his eight new sisters. <laughs> his eight sisters who never met before, and yet were like, let's have a girl power moment. And it felt like Marvel patting themselves on the back for being very woke, when in fact, like, it just felt like 
lip service to having all these female characters who barely get any screen time and then suddenly they're, you know, together. And it it felt too much, too little too late for me, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like almost a little patronizing. So for me, it was like they just really wanted that that big moment. And it was something that didn't feel earned or organic in any way. Mm -hmm. Um. Do you did you like the girl power moment in Infinity War more? What was the girl power moment in Infinity War? When like Okoye and um, Wanda like saved and Natasha. Natasha, and then the three of them were fighting. I don't really remember together. that moment honestly, no. but because I don't remember a lot of moments from Infinity War. But, I mean, fair. Well, <laughs> the, the moment in the moment in Endgame is basically that moment, but like base boosted. Yeah, yeah. The moment Endgame kind of rubbed me the wrong way too because it was just like very obvious what they were doing they're like we'll handle it everyone yeah. gets together has their cool power pose moment hints at a, a potential a force movie it just felt I mean, very like i would love an a force movie. yeah though. i mean like that's fine but it felt very telegraphed to me yeah yeah i i get I that will i'll say that. i i'll i'll throw in my girlfriend loved that moment that she like that was like her favorite moment in, in the movie um so we contain multitude. Mm. It, right. Like, no, I mean, it I, was cool, and I appreciate, like, how cool it was, but it just didn't feel earned to me. Right. And I think, I think one of the things, like, younger girls going to see this movie, like, I want that moment to inspire them. Mm. I want that moment to make them excited. Um, and I think it's possible to both appreciate that moment and feel excited by it, and, like, also, like Willoughby said, we contain multitudes as deeper critical thinkers recognize kind of what it means and why it was there and the larger conversation about like representation and feminism Mm -hmm. and I think you can have both thoughts at the same time right for sure um yeah I I agree with you HD there were some moments that didn't feel as emotionally earned as other I think for the most part they nailed yeah for the most part they nailed them yes um so one of my biggest things and um HD please Mm -hmm. don't be my friend Mm um let me put this out there I love Clint Barton. Jeremy Renner is not Clint Barton. Jeremy Renner is some Stephen Amell, Oliver Queen, who thinks he's Bruce Batman, who's not actually Clint Barton. He's has the most punchable face ever. Um, I also really don't like Jeremy Renner, so I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I am very biased against him. Um but I have some issue with the way they write Clint in these movies because mm-hmm. they have literally never given us a reason to care about Clint outside of other people. They even tried to introduce a family to be like, you need to care about Clint Barton. And I'm like, I still don't care about your Clint Barton. You've given, you've never given me any reason to outside of like Natasha and Wanda and Pietro, um, who by the way, should have lived in Age of Ultron instead of Clint. Ooh. Rip Aaron Taylor Johnson as the best Pietro on the big screen. Sorry. I don't what understand that at all because Pietro was just okay. Sorry. No, Pietro's the best. Pietro you didn't see that coming? Pietro Pietro's great. And that's the Pietro I know from the comics. So that's right. when Pietro is no one. Um I just I Clint just bothers me because he there's there's nothing to him. And there's no reason to care about him. And I hated that scene in Tokyo because I was like, This is not the MCU. This is not this does not fit in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Like, I don't, I have no reason to believe in the character development of Clint as becoming some, like, vengeful assassin. Like, just because his family died. Like, you've never given me any reason to believe that or to understand that. It's, 
I just Clint is that one character that really bothers me because I think they've written him so poorly in these films. Mm-hmm. And HT don't kill me, but I, mean, I do love. I the can Barnes see. I can see why that would be a problem because I do think his characterization has been inconsistent. But I will say I liked what they did with him in this film and how it follows up on what we've seen of him in Age of Ultron and how he is kind of that because of his family and because he kind of is that like almost empathetic force that in a way is able to ground the team. Um, I think that's the part that he plays. And when he loses that family, he just kind of goes off on this dark brooding streak. And, you know, I was like not crazy about the Ronin parts either, but it makes sense to me as someone whose life revolves around that family and is like was able to make for himself the family that Natasha so longs for. And when he loses that, he kind of goes off on a little spiral. It worked for me. And um, I liked, too, that, like, he was, you know, the one who lost the most. And his grieving process was just so violent and so, like, I don't know, different than everyone else's that it gave, like, a, a to- it gave, like, a, a interesting edge to this film, which I enjoyed. I can see why people don't like it. I am biased because I love Hawkeye and I like Jerry right, Renner. And again, I'm like biased. weird like, because I love, I like, think, I think Jerry Renner is good. I think he's a good actor and I know he has his problems, but I think that like, you know, I still think he's good at what he does. And um, yeah, I think, but I will say that <laughs> it's funny because like the issues that you have with Clint Burton are the issues I had with um, Natasha in Natasha Romanoff in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going against like, what Scarlett Johansson does with the character because I think she's great in it but I think she's always been underserved by this franchise and what happens to her character and what happens to her arc in um, Endgame is just kind of the overall like the the conclusion of that she has a very she's like the most dissatisfying arc for me I think because like you don't see where it's going so basically what happens in Endgame Big, big spoilers for for this is that, you know, Natasha is very sad that they failed half the world and she spends a lot of the time, you know, just very upset over having over this regret. And um, it, it leads to her sacrificing herself so that they can get the soul stone. And um, for me, like, this would have been a more powerful moment if we had known who Natasha was, like, leading up to this. She's her, she's, she's always been so... Um, character. She's been characterized so inconsistently throughout the films, and even the Rousseaus, uh, who gave her like the most interesting characterization in Captain America: Winter Soldier, kind of drop it in the later films. Civil War, she just kind of goes to being Captain America's right hand woman. Same thing with Infinity War, and then in um, Endgame, when they try to give her something of an arc, it's not enough to make her sacrifice seem like something that her arc is leading up to it just feels just like kind of cheap in a way so I I wish that Natasha got better I she deserved more than this that's what I'm saying yeah and I I agree with you um I feel like I wasn't necessarily like upset by her dying Mm -hmm. because it felt like a move it it felt like a move her character would make Mm -hmm. like I liked that scene between her and Clint Um, yeah it was definitely one of my favorite like Clint scenes um, I mean, I like that the, scene. It just felt like her arc. Agreed. Yeah. It felt, yeah, it felt hot. Like, I, I get why she sacrificed herself. That's, mm. That feels in line with her character to me. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, her arc has just been between like the her stuff with Bruce and the very bad writing for her in Age of Ultron that was just awful and like misogynistic and gross. It just, it, yeah, she has been kind of all over the place and not really developed very well. Um, and after her death, when they're all like mourning her yeah. at the lake house, I was like, wow, look at all these five white men. <laughs> oh, so, so diverse. Hulk doesn't count. Being green doesn't count as a person of color. This is, oh, this is, wow, Marvel. This looks bad. And then, and, and then at the end when, you know, Tony gets such this, such a moving farewell tribute. Yes, this whole funeral. Natasha gets one mention from Clint. And um, I was a little bit sad, saddened about that. I was just like, wow, they really just, if she disappeared halfway through this movie, you wouldn't know, which she did. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Mm -hmm. They definitely have not done right by their female characters in the MCU for the most part. Um, You know, I think some have been better than others. I really like Peggy. I think I actually really like Hope. I Mm. think Evangeline Lilly's Hope is great. Um, And I like how they've written her. But yeah, some female characters have not been treated so well in this franchise. But let's talk about the other... um main uh main character main avenger rather because we talked we touched on everyone except for mr thor big dumb puppy he's a thick boy in this big boy he's a thick boy Um, i love that when he can change his appearance he adds braids to his hair but does not change his body and i was like yes thor like embrace your body embrace those curves like embrace that thickness it's yes, like the uh, the the gordon ramsay me- gordon ramsay meme where it's like finally some good fucking representation <laughs> but um i don't want to be the debbie downer again I, this is another qualm i have with the movie um but it has to do more with the tone rather than thor himself because i actually really like the arc that they take Thor through and it makes a lot of sense to me in that he doesn't know he doesn't want to lead he doesn't really know how to lead and um he decides to take up being a a wandering ronin essentially um hanging out with the guardians of the galaxy and it suits his character too because it feels like that's something that he was always meant to do and it's actually something that Odin in the original mythology always was he was always a wanderer so it feels very just like apt for him but the journey along the way to get to that point felt to me a little inconsistent because he was just kind of the joke for most of the movie. Yeah. And I disliked that. I mean, like... Yeah, no. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think the comedy around it, I agree, was not great. Or I think maybe they just, like, leaned into it too much. Yeah. I would have like, been fine with if they kept it up for, like, maybe 15, 20 minutes and then, like, they stopped. Right. But they... like kept doing it right when you first see him and you're like oh boy thor like you've not been handling this very well mm-hmm. um and like having some of those comedic moments like i thought it was really funny when he tried to explain the plot of the dark world yeah. and like scott was the only one who was interested but like i feel like after that point it's like okay this joke is now done like put it away yeah so i agree with you completely because like it's the emotional moments of his arc like with his mom with frigga i thought were wonderful i love and, the frigga, and, and thor frigga is, part yeah, and Thor has one of the best arcs, I think, in the MCU, just in general, of, like, becoming, you know, like, reckless hero to leader. Um, and 
you know, now what does he do after being a leader and like after sort of feeling like he's failed, where does he go? And I agree with the wandering Ronan thing is great, but yeah, the comedy tone, they just like tried to push it too much, like trying to have those comedic moments when they should have just kind of lightened it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, like we just said, the Frigga moments landed really well for me and I loved those. Yeah. Um, again, also biased. I wish we had had a moment between him and Loki. Um, also, Tom Hiddleston had nothing to do in this film. And you clearly, he had to film things because they had to reshoot scenes in the Avengers. Yeah. Like, he was there. Um, and I was just like, Loki and Thor also never got closure. Like, last time we saw them, like, Thanos murdered Loki. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I wanted at least a moment between them. I get that this movie's three hours and they didn't want to make it four. And again, biased. I love Loki and Thor. But... Also, no Jane, too. Like, she oh was God. very much they brushed aside. Natalie Portman to wake up from a nap and then walk off screen? <laughs> it was either that or un- unused the was Dark it? World footage. Yeah, I feel like it was unused footage. It was footage. one of the two, because I was like, what? They wouldn't get Natalie Portman I mean, to do, like, like, a few second not. scene. She, they could she was not. either paid a real hefty sum with a, a nice apology for Marvel for firing Patty Jenkins, or... That was unused deleted footage, which I think was probably the probably case. and just like, inserted Rocket Raccoon. Oof, oof! That I was like, at first I thought I was like, like because at first when that when we were on Asgard and stuff, and after we had already seen like cameos from like Robert Redford and Tilda Swinton, I was like, oh my god, is there gonna be like a surprise Natalie Portman scene? Are we gonna get like a Jane and Thor like emotional like? conclusion scene and i was like so excited for it and then she woke up yeah. and walked off screen and then and, I was and like, like they kept doing me? and they kept doing the joke where he like tries to go off and find beer and i was like ugh, that was the part where i was getting a little tired Agreed. of that joke. yeah that's, once once it kept up on asgard i was like okay stop <laughs> like, but go frigga and getting more lines in this movie than in the past two thor movies combined yup um, i mean which goes back to the other things you were talking about. I really liked Thor's scene on Asgard in the Dark World because, it, you know, it's one of those interesting moves for Marvel to be like, yeah, we're going back in time to where all the Infinity Stones were. So we're going to go re- visit your favorite films like Guardians of the Galaxy and The Avengers and Thor the Dark World. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, this movie isn't so, uh, you know, not a lot of people like this movie. I personally am, uh, I like it. To the extent that, you know, I recognize its flaws, but I like it a lot because, I don't know, it's got some good aesthetic and Thor and Jane are great. Um, I don't think it's nearly like as bad villain. as everyone says it is because it's def- it, it's not as bad as Iron Man 2, for example. No, or The Incredible Hulk. Like, I think it's to- it's like it's it's top tier, low tier. Um, <laughs> I like that saying. So, no, it's good. And, and then, like, I find it funny that, like, the whole plot was like, we have to get the ether out of Jane. And then Rocket just does it. <laughs> he does it so quickly and off screen that it's like, oh, I guess it really wasn't that much of a problem. Like, they just didn't have the right scientific tools to do it. Um, and you think so they would because they're Asgard. That. Yeah, you would think so. Um, but oh, as as we've learned from uh, Ragnarok, Odin's uh, uh, sort of shies away from, I don't know, being a good ruler or uh, sort of pushing away things that maybe sh- should be more important. Um, so, yeah, no, I think the Thor stuff is is a little wonky. I do agree that the comedy was a little much, but I do also think that Chris Hemsworth sold the shit out of his sort of depression he and, did. like, flip from being funny to, like, he- mentioning the name Thanos and just, like, immediately having PTSD about it all. I think that he... I think that 
even though the comedy was a little much, I think he sold it all. Like, like tonally, I think he's. I don't think we give Chris Hemsworth enough credit oh, for what he does. For sure. yeah. Never do. Like he he's is having he is a ball a doing actor. that. Yeah, like I, I'm glad that they gave him more comedy, but I also he's doing great work being the dramatic Thor that we know. Um, and so yeah, I think that that works. The whole yeah, Dark World is an interesting. Movie. I guess they have to because they're trying to get the the stone back, the ether. Um, yeah. So okay. So I guess that's a good. Do we want to talk about any more characters? Do we want to talk, talk about, about Nebula? Who Nebula. is the best character in this movie, by the way? Yeah. Uh, aside from Tony and Steve, she has the best arc. What a surprise to have Nebula, who is like the third villain in Guardians of the Galaxy, have uh, some of the most emotional moments in the Endgame. Yeah. Like, I think that's really bold of the Rus- of the Russos and the writers to like elevate that character. Oh, for sure. It gave me the satisfying arc that I wanted from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Because for me, Guardians of Nebula was always the most interesting part of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Her and um, uh, Gamora's whole storyline was just so fascinating to me. And something about the way that their story was just about abuse and competition and sisterhood and how they lived through that violence um, was really compelling to me. And I like that we got to follow through with that in Endgame and see what this victim of abuse like can do once she is given, you know, support and um, and friends and family. And I'm getting I'm I'm getting emotional for Nebula. I love Nebula. She's so wonderful. <laughs> she's great. She's and like in her arc. Yeah. Karen yeah, I was gonna was say so like good. the moment where she shot herself from the past. Like I loved that. I mean, mm-hmm. the symbolism was a little like on the nose. But of, like, letting, like, your past self die to, like, like your new self be born and, like, live, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Little on the nose. But I still loved it. And I just think Nebula is wonderful. Like, that scene between her and Tony. It's one of my favorite scenes, yeah. It's oh, so, yeah. It's so lovely. Teaching like her to play paper football. Yeah. And then, like, when he falls asleep on the floor and she, like, puts him in the chair and, like, yeah. tucks him in. And I'm like, Nebula? Like, I like girl. that. And, like, when they play and he let people. I think he lets her win. It's yeah. one of she gets like this tiny bit of of uh, the spark of joy because she never wins, and uh, it was just such a wonderful like quiet little moment for her. But yeah, Nebula scene stealer in this movie. Honestly, I loved honestly, her so much. Scene stealer. I want to give a shout out to two other scene stealers for me personally, um, Paul Rudd and Don Cheadle. Mm. Um, Paul Rudd because like yes, he's a very reliable comedy actor, and like anytime I feel like if you have to get a laugh from this movie, you just be like cut to Paul Rudd's face reacting. reaction and it's like wonderful <laughs> but I think also people people should give more credit to Scott Lang who I think is like a darling like this little hero who's just trying his best and doesn't know what's going on half the time and really wants to do right by all his hero friends I love Scott Lang mm. and I think Paul Rudd is a very endearing hero um and I think he is more than just the comedy guy um and then I, I also mean, just history- yeah, go. No, I was just going to say, like, case in point, his reaction to seeing his daughter for the first time mm-hmm. was, like, amazing. And, like, like I, I, we hardly get to see Paul Rudd be dramatic and emotional. And, like, when he does, he excels at it. Yeah. He's a great actor. Yeah. yeah. And also speaking of his daughter, Cassie is now older, and we're getting Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye TV series. Young Avengers! And I am just like, Young Avengers, give me Young Avengers, give me them. Um, and then also Don Cheadle. 
I just, I feel like we just need to appreciate Don Cheadle more in general because he is wonderful. Like just as a human being, as an actor, as a person who blesses us with his presence. Um, and Rhodey always keeps it very real. Um, when he called Star-Lord an idiot, I like literally cheered out loud in my theater because <laughs> I hate Peter Quill so much. Um, also love the fact that we now have old Gamora. So she and Peter are not together anymore. Thank yes. God. <laughs> um, but I just like, Rhodey is just great. Like every time Rhodey has a quip, I'm like, respect to Rhodey because Rhodey is so, where it's at. One thing I realized that I know it, it wasn't Terrence Howard, but there's a scene at the very end of the movie that, um, uh, calls back to the, uh, first Iron Man movie where Tony is sort of like, hunched over leaning down like coming back from out of the uh in the desert and being in the cave and Rhodey comes up and put his arm on his shoulder and they just have a look and they yes. recreate that in Endgame after Tony snaps his fingers and it gets the same shot set up same situation I I know it's not Terrence Howard but it is Rhodey and, I mean, and thank Stark. God it's not Terrence Howard and having that moment was really great and I was like oh this is like you know they don't they they they're just you know it it's a friendship that isn't dived into as much it's sort of like Bucky and Steve where like there's a lot there that isn't said and isn't done um and i, I think that you know they have this friendship lasted for much longer than the MCU and i really that you know Rhodey was there at the end mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. as Peter and Pepper and Friday and all of the rest of Tony's family I also want to give a shout out to Rocket Raccoon. Always great. Bradley Cooper's best performance. Honestly. <laughs> the underrated Bradley Cooper performance that deserved the Oscar. Truly, truly. He and Nebula, by the way, were great together. I really enjoyed their dynamic as well. Maybe I ship it. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Maybe. Um, all right. We've been talking about characters a lot, but I think that's because they are the heart and soul of this whole um franchise shall we move on to plot and theme yes and kind of combine them in a in a duo conversation i think it's a good um, idea otherwise it'll should... still be a two-hour podcast yeah really i think we should start out with one of my favorite plot moments and i think probably willoughby's two uh time heisting time, time heisting heist. it's a time heist willoughby tell me what you loved about the time heist and all the references to back to the future and all of that well like more than just being like name dropping a bunch of time travel movies, some of which include um, movies that these actors have starred in. Um, <laughs> the uh, I I I really appreciate that they take the time travel and sort of have these characters reckon with either their past selves or their characters that they were not able to get closure with. We talked earlier about Thor getting the closure with his mother, and that being a really powerful moment, but. At the same time as that's happening, Tony or Howard Potts is getting closure with <laughs> Howard Stark, and you get John Slattery as like a Dominic Cooper-looking uh, guy. It's like this weird thing where it's like I'm trying to we're we're slowly getting to the moment in the MCU flashbacks where Dominic Cooper becomes John Slattery. Like we know in the 40s that it's still Dominic Cooper, but by 1970 it's John Slattery. Yeah. So like there's a point in the 50s and 60s where where that character switches actors. And one day we'll get that. And facial but, structures. <laughs> and facial structures. 
they tried their best. Like they dyed Don Slattery's hair, yeah. and mustache even though they dark. look very different. Still, they look very different. But it, I think they embody the same character. It's very interesting. They do, but yeah. it's very Back to the Future for um, uh, Tony to have a conversation with his father. A conversation he hasn't talked to his father in 26 years. Like I think that's uh, something that we don't think about when we when we do these time travel moments. Like that it's been half a, it's been a quarter of a, of a century since tony has seen his father in the flesh and he's seeing a younger a a, 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 t- a father closer in age to tony at that point and i think that it's some and they have a conversation about kids and tony's dad not knowing if he's going to live up to being a, a good dad and tony like having that closure of being like yeah you weren't great but like this is helping this the traumatic it uh that he's experienced the trauma that he's experiencing. And I think that it's a great, that was a great moment. Uh, Peggy uh, in the 1970s and cap getting to like catch a, gl- a glimpse of her behind the, the director of shield um, office was pretty cool. And uh, we also get to see Jarvis from yes. uh, agent Carter. Carter. Like shout out to one of the only TV or original TV characters coming into the MCU. Like, I'm glad if it was anybody, it was Jarvis, like, because he's great. James Darcy's always great. Um, uh, I love, I love yeah, the 70s I, hair, too. The 70s hair. Um, the the uh, Going back to the Avengers, it's such, it's such an interesting uh, plot point because it's very meta in the sense that they're going back to where it all began for at least the larger MCU. Like, the other movies were leading up to the Avengers. But the Avengers, again, was something that everybody thought was impossible to make. And it was a big hit. It was, one of, it was like, the number one movie of all time at that point. And, you know, it, it was critically acclaimed. Like, we're obviously sort of relitigating it now. But I think that at the time, I think it was everybody's, like, favorite MCU movie. It was definitely mine, besides Iron Man. Like, and it was cool to go back to that point and see, like, how these characters reckon with just themselves from at the, I guess at that point 12 years ago but for us it was still it was just seven years ago and you know cap versus cap was really fun it's it was the I saw on, on online it was the def, it was the the physical embodiment of senior year versus freshman year like what would you do if you saw your freshman year self I know for myself I would punch him I would punch past <laughs> so it's cap cap does the same thing. Um, we get the uh, instantly iconic uh, that is America's ass line <laughs> from not only Paul Rudd but also Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. They all come They say yeah, it's a three beat. Yeah, yeah, it is. Also, this whole sequence, um, they held Hydra bit. I loved it so much because one, obviously, a shout out to Winter Soldier, but two, a giant fuck you to the comics, which I yeah. thought was amazing um as some of you might know marvel comics came under fire uh, a couple years ago i think last year a couple years ago um when they did a plot where steve genuinely joined hydra like not like just a fake out like i'm gonna be a secret agent he like genuinely joined hydra like joined nazis um which goes against everything captain america is um and understandably so and rightfully so fans were pissed and let marvel know um because it was a total character assassination and terrible writing the fact that this movie had him say that line but under the knowledge of like i know what you guys are and like i'm a good guy and i'm just like screwing you over and the way it was such a middle finger to the comics and that terrible plot oh my god 
so brilliant. Just wonderful all around. The best. Yeah. You know, I looked into that comic line. It turned out that was a clone Steve Rogers. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, I thought Steve. that was it was, like it was a, a fake Steve. Yeah. I mean, either a, way, it still it, it turned writing. into a fake Steve. But the way that they marketed it was that it was like, no, this is yeah. the Steve Rogers that you know and love. But they like, basically just I did look, it for like shock value. Yeah. Yeah. Like I looked, I looked yeah. into it later because I was like, is this? Did they really go with this? And like they kind of walked it back, and they were like, no, it's actually a clone that was like, you know, at the same time as Cap. You know, they probably just walked it back because they got all the backlash mm. honestly yeah or they just i don't know they doubled down on the marketing in a wrong way but either way like it was still like a a, a, a giant mess mm-hmm. yeah. a giant mess and like yeah no that scene where it, a, it was a recreation of the elevator scene it was the same character it was just the same setup same camera angle i really love that i, I literally thought cap was gonna say before we get started does anybody want to get out but instead, he like goes into he goes to Agent Sitwell and just says, or uh, Frank Grillo, and just goes, uh, "Hail Hydra," and walk smash cut it to him walking away with the scepter. Oh, that was so good! Yeah, it's such a good moment. My my theater like lost it. They were just like, "Woo!" It was so funny. I was astonished how much I enjoyed all those callbacks because like. I think Willoughby or Anya was saying it's it it's part of the plot. It's an essential part of the plot, not just something that like the filmmakers throw to the fans as a way of like fan servicing them or something. It's um something that is both like you know poetic, but all, and also just like exhilarating to see, but um is essential to that whole time heist part. And that's why I think the time heist is really just so ingenious as a way of like doing a meta recreation of all of these beloved movies in the past 11 years, as well as just tying it into the story itself. It's really just the most appropriate way for them to do it. And um, it, and it I, works amazingly. I like, that the, I like that Tilda Swinton comes back as the ancient one to explain time travel mm-hmm. to Mark Ruffalo's Professor Hulk in a way that is such an interesting way of talking about, like, if you take the time stone from this timeline and keep it, we're fucked. Yeah, it's and a good so way of doing exposition. They, yeah, and, like, bringing in the, you know, another Back to the Future reference of, like, showcasing timelines and construed, you know, different, you know, multiple timelines moving on in parallel dimensions. Because basically what 20, 2018 is, is the dark evil alternative to what could have been. Um, and basically they're saying, like, at any point, if you take these stones out from where they were, that's going to happen to six different timelines Although and it's they... all going to be shit because like all these time, all these stones, except for the soul stone, because like that wasn't really introduced until Infinity War. All the other stones are a MacGuffin in another film. Mm. And it's, you know, an interesting, like a very interesting way of, of sort of like defending the instance of having these stones be MacGuffins. But also being like, if, if, you know, if they weren't the major, if they weren't the major factor in a lot of these films, like the bad guys would win and like we would not be in the end game now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an interesting like, you know, dilemma that a lot of, you know, they're like going in cause they're like, we can save the future, but they're like also like damning the past if they take the stones out. So they do have to put them back, which is what Steve does at the end. And then he stays in 1945 and we all get the kiss and dance that we and deserve. We cry. Um, Although technically didn't they project- accidentally, like they didn't quite achieve their mission, like writing all the timelines because Loki does get away with the the tesseract he does get away so we have an al- alternate away. timeline right there and, and that's where Disney the loki Plus tv show goes 
Yeah. Disney Plus has confirmed a Loki TV show, so that's probably what that's going to be, yep. which is very yeah, well, they've, interesting. Um, they've confirmed the Loki TV show is going to be Loki throughout history, Ooh. so it's going to be sort of like a Legends of Tomorrow, but like Loki causing chaos and shenanigans throughout history. Can the ti- can the Tesseract time travel, or is it just the Time Stone that does that? No, no, no. I don't think it's him time traveling. It's like we're going to see Loki at a point oh. in his life where he's like here so not like Legends of Tomorrow where they're like time traveling but like we're gonna see Loki oh, at different okay. points throughout his life like causing chaos and young Loki so so they just know they just didn't resolve that Loki plot they probably here's my theory is that when Steve put the, the Tesseract back he did it before um or he had to do it at some point I don't know well Somehow, the Tesseract goes the, back to seven the 70s so I guess it does yeah and then that, and the, but then what happens in the Avengers? Okay, we're starting to un, un, unravel some plot points that we probably shouldn't because then the movie, like Cars, if you start to think Wait. about where the people were, completely unravels. Wait, hold on, I have one more thing to do because um, me and my uh, me and my roommate Dana argue, not argued, we um, very confused by this at the end because Spider Man always fucks up the timeline and it makes me very annoyed. So at the very end of the film, we see Peter at school again. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. It looks like Peter's in high school. It's been five years. Okay, Peter's in high school. He didn't age right. those five years wherever he was. However, does that mean all his friends also were snapped and didn't age? Yeah. Is it how convenient, narratively. Right? How convenient like, that all the... Also, how convenient that everyone who was snapped weren't the main six Avengers yeah. from the first film. I think it's... They just sort of... I think they wrote themselves into a corner there yeah. by doing a Spider-Man sequel. I think they just had to be like, yeah, Ned and Zendaya and the guy from Kings of Summer, they were all snapped. And now they're all yeah, back like, at the same How convenient that all the kids who have a three-film contract were snapped. <laughs> Spider-Man, always, always ruining the timeline. And I will say, I will say, I think that, that the eight years later at the beginning of Homecoming was is such a typo because they confirm it in... Uh, in Civil War, which takes place two months before Homecoming, that it's only been four years since the Avengers yeah. and eight. That's years why after I saw after we saw Homecoming, we immediately went home and tried to figure out the MCU timeline with Homecoming, and it does not check out. No, it doesn't. I, I believe that was a typo and like a major typo, but a typo nonetheless. Maybe we can yeah. blame Sony for that because they don't care. <laughs> yeah, that probably was a Sony mistake. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I like. Marvel's always been pretty good with their continuity, except for that one moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's get out and, of the, the weeds for this and talk yes. about... Oh, you mean the time traveling that they're doing, <laughs> which is sort of complicated? And let's talk about the third act of the film and um, the themes that are re- prevalent there. So we can... So this, won't episode, this podcast won't be two hours long. But, all right, the third act of the film. Um, Black Widow has sacrificed herself. Uh, everything is as it should be. Thanos is back, and uh, we have the big battle scene. And uh, I touched on this before, but this battle scene just resonates a lot more with me and with the audience because it has that emotional uh, drive to it. Um, and like the when we all we see the Avengers assemble finally, it just feels so much more satisfying and just so amazing to, to for Chris for Steve to finally say it. Um, yeah. what do you have to say about that, Willoughby? <laughs> well, 
basically all all you were saying. It reminds me of the the hero shot in the Avengers, but just like I said earlier, base boosted. It's so much bigger and more bombastic, but so elegantly filmed and shot in such a way. There's when Steve is the lonely warrior in the the rubble of the Avengers, and just on the other side of the of the screen is the entire and the entirety of Thanos' army coming to destroy them is such a powerful shot. It reminded me of Luke Skywalker standing in front of a bunch of AT-AT walkers ready to stare down the First Order. I think it was, I don't know if it, it obviously couldn't have been a parallel that was intentional, but it was, in my brain, like two amazing characters that mean a lot to me staring down the face of evil uh, in front of God and man. And I think that the way that Oh, and Sam just says on your left and comes flying in with Black Panther and the rest of the portals open up and they all line up and they and Steve just says, finally, he just he finally gets to say it. And it's just so perfect. And then mm-hmm. they rush in and Alan Silvestri's score is kicking. The Avengers theme is roaring. Shout out to the brass section for doing their damnedest to to like just blowing out their trumpets trying to get this theme across like i i've been listening to the the song that plays during the scene on a loop since thursday and it's just it's portals on the on the uh end game soundtrack for anybody who wants to know it it's so good and it's so perfect and i think that like they obviously took the time and the energy to think this out in such a meaningful way because marvel has fallen into a uh pre-visualization action um, issue where like a lot of action is dictated by the producers mm. and not ex- and it's sort of like a house standard in terms of how action is is created and computer and, like the computer generated effects like Black Band Black Panther is amazing it's a wet it's one Marvel's like one of their best films if not their best film besides this one like but the action does get a little comic not comic book uh, com- like the computer generated effects aren't super great yeah. especially in the final battle like, yeah that like train black panther not yeah black panther excels in the one-on-one fights but then when it comes to the big battle scenes it becomes a little bit just visual noise and well, i do think I that more i i did i actually did mean the one-on-one fight oh, between okay. t'challa and Killmonger, because the scene where they're like falling in the vibranium mountain, yeah, and it's just two computer-generated characters fighting each other in dead air, yeah, did not look great. But like, that's not to say the film isn't great. Like, the film's amazing. It's just like they sort of like these films sort of lack in action unless you have someone who's really pushing for the action and the computer, the CG to like look phenomenal. And I think they they knocked it out of the park here. Yeah. Like that, the the sweeping shot of them all lined up is just perfect. I, I can't talk about it enough. I'm going to keep talking about it till the day I die. I do think that in Endgame, the, the, the battle does threaten to veer into visual noise at some parts, but the threat of the action remains in like the big hot potato scene in which the Thanos's the Infinity Gauntlet, the new Infinity Gauntlet gets passed from hero to hero. And I really enjoyed that that ties together all of this big battle sequences. Otherwise, it would kind of just degenerate into just a bunch of more CG fighting and everything. But because of that, and because you have that thing, that through line that keeps the suspense and keeps the audience attention just like gripped, I think that that's why this works so well. And you feel just like the the stakes in that that glove. Yeah. Shout out to the Iron Gauntlet. I want one. I now have an Infinity Gauntlet thanks to AwesomeCon. I now need the Iron Infinity Gauntlet. You do. 
Because one of them is right-handed, the other one's left-handed. I could wield both at the same time. Uh, it's very good. Amazing. Um, All right, Anya, before... what are your thoughts? Oh, um, I mean, I pretty much have the same thoughts as you guys um, about the third act. And um, I thought there were some truly, like, spine-tingling moments. Um, moments where it did veer into kind of just the noise and the the too long final battle that all superhero movies are plagued with. Um, but for the most part, I thought they did well with it. And I had a lot of moments where I just felt very excited. Um, but I was going to say before this episode does become two hours, um, let's share some of our final thoughts on the themes of the movie. Um, HT, you're very good when it comes to thematic content. So Thank you. why don't you start us off? Um, this movie is about something and it's about not being able to live the, with the consequences of failing to save the world and I love that that grief and that regret becomes the prime motivating factor for the Avengers and it's more film about like going through that process that just like process of grieving and of anger and uh, regret then it is really about like anything else and I think that plays too into the second and third acts of the films because when they go into that time heist and when they go back in time they're able to come to terms with other regrets that they have in their life and get that closure and um, in getting closure on a more intimate character basis they're able to get closure um, on a larger macro scale and I think that's why this film works so well is because it is about that idea of um wanting to live up to the failures that you've had and um avenging them they get their namesake exactly they, they finally get to be avenging something mm-hmm. but that's yes. pretty cool before they were just the protector initiative yeah before before captain marvel they were the protector initiative right but like that's all they were doing they yeah. were just protecting the earth now they're avenging it mm-hmm also, what do you think Carol thought of when she was like, you guys are the Avengers? What's up with that? Yeah. Did, did Fury, did he have something to do with this? What's, what's up with that? What's up with that? I know, Fury has a lot to explain to Carol. <laughs> um, speaking like, of Carol, <laughs> this is what's Anya, going on. Anya, what did you think of Carol's haircut? Um, I think that it um, paved the way for gay rights. Yeah. <laughs> Gay rights um, that are hopefully sorry, better I, than I the one the... depicted in this film and are being touted now as like the first gay moment in Marvel history, which is... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Are they touting Because I just... I... Yeah, they're touting I it. The Russos like, are like, oh, oh, we did it. Oh, they're touting it. Oh, We saved gay a, rights. I have an op-ed in the works um, because of this movie and also Shazam and directors being like, we have queer representation. And I'm like, hey guys, crumbs don't count as representation. That's like the thing is that if they're not if they don't like I thought it was like when I when I saw that when I had that when that when I watched that moment I was like oh that's cool like that's you know unexpected in Marvel because they've been pretty straight for a while but I didn't know that their the directors were touting that as like a crowning achievement for civil they rights are. and they I are. was like I, I just thought that was like a nice moment for them to like acknowledge that in like this like really dark mo- movie and but it's sort of like the Disney Beauty and the Beast thing where they're like, look what we did. We've saved your rights. Yeah. And, and directors are doing this all the time. Like it, it, the Shazam director did it too. When he was like, we have the first queer superhero. And I'm like, oh, you have a single line that could be interpreted 
as being queer. Say, but like, it could just be that the kid didn't want to go to a strip club. Right. And so, and so I'm like, you have that, you have that. And then you have this where it's like a character who is yes, explicitly not straight, but is just like a cameo and not even a hero or main character. And I'm like, directors, please, please stop. Like, we deserve a lot better than this. And like, honestly, it's getting to the point of being actually disrespectful that like directors are being like, we have representation. And I'm like, no, you don't. This is how I feel about that girl power moment, Anya. <laughs> That's crumbs. Fair. It's crumbs. It's crumbs. And we do deserve it. Meanwhile, better. I'm eating up a three course meal and I'm like, do you guys want some of this? <laughs> oh, guys, Hopefully in guys. the future. I just want some of this white man three course meal. Do you want? Do you guys want me to? You want to join me in New Asgard? We'll play some Fortnite and drink some beer. <laughs> like the cynical part of me is honestly like, yeah, the cynical part of me is honestly like wondering if we didn't get a final Bucky Steve moment because they didn't want it to seem like too, like no, no homo. homo. And I was like, is that like, a, like there's a part of me that honestly is wondering if that conversation happened at Marvel. And I'm like, I hate this. I hate this so much. Um, so yeah, the MCU can definitely do better when it comes to representation, like a lot. There was a moment though, I really appreciated with Rhodey where he acknowledged mm. his disability in this film. I really um, like that moment. Character. What was it? What? He was talking to another character. It was with, Rocket. It was with Nebula. Oh, Nebula. Because her arm, like, you know, she they, they, they both talk about oh, having yeah. right. Because they're both, because Nebula is uh, also kind of coded as disabled, too. Yeah, and I just, I thought that was, like, a nice moment. Um, and I, I feel like we don't discuss the fact that, like, Rhodey is a disabled hero. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, some people could take issue with in the fact that, like, um, Don Cheadle is an able body actor. Um but yeah, but I, I, I liked that moment between them and like acknowledging that like heroes don't have to be like perfect specimens mm-hmm. to be heroes. Yeah. So, but still they can do a lot better elsewhere. Yes. Um, Willoughby, some final thoughts yeah. on Avengers Endgame. Okay, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, just kidding. We have no, 30 I want to say, I, oh shit, okay. Um, I, I would just, I'll just say that like, I think that this movie for the the criticisms that we've laid out i think that the movie is bigger than the sum of its parts and that it does exceed expectations in all things it gives us a satisfying ending for most of our most of the main characters and just gives it delivers us sort of everything we've want like most of everything we wanted like for what this to be like going into endgame like we knew that they were that they were going to get the um the 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 snapped like unsnapped like they like that was you know this is a comic book movie we know that the heroes are events are going to win out but you know they took the time to just show the morning i thought it's very very hbo the leftovers of them to Mm. do that and i think that you know they they did they they um you know they took their time in that in that five year span to showcase just how the world has changed and like when scott uh, uh you know asked the kid what happened and the kid just looks visibly offended as if like, you don't know and like run and is crying and runs and like bikes away. Like that's a moment where you're like, when you like, what if you wake up on nine twelve in New York city and you're like, what happened? Like, that's one of those moments where you're just like it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a world reckoning with loss in such a powerful way. And so much more like 
the world is empty. Like, I kind of calculated, I'm going on a tangent, sorry. I calculated, like, how much, like, half the world's population would be. The world's population in half would have been in 1972. Like, that's how much was left in 2018 when Thanos snapped. But the fact is that we've been building buildings and apartments and streets and like the world the like the world's gotten bigger and there's more more of it because we've been trying to we have we've doubled our population since 1972 so the world just feels so much more empty in that in that sense and because whole houses have been abandoned like it's so dark and disturbing it's the darkest like the mcu's ever gotten and and at the, at the end they they save the day and they get and hope springs eternal and like it's very very powerful i think the way they hit they did it and like it's three separate movies or at least three separate like tones of the movie but i think that they all coalesce into a greater film and i can't wait to rewatch this a thousand times no you know what three thousand times oh same although fun fact scientists um did study this and uh thanos's snap would not have worked the way he wanted it because it didn't he didn't just snap the population he snapped all life force which means that he also ruined our ecosystems um because like he got rid of like you know bees and endangered species and like species that like help us maintain uh like the balance of the ecosystem so like actually his snap would have completely backfired on him um so fun fact thanos um you're dumb um but I just wanted to point that out because it's a really fun article. I can link it in the blog because it's great. Um, but I agree with Willoughby. I think like even when we have kind of personal biases and disappointments and some things didn't, you know, measure up as well as we wanted them to or whatever, I agree that this movie is completely, you know, um, bigger than the sum of its parts. And I think that ultimately you have to take this movie as the full package and like see what they accomplished and mm. how amazing that is. Um, just and, say how it was part two. Yeah, and the idea of, of of grief and loss and failure and what's worth fighting for and um, you know how to live a fulfilling life and what that looks like and so yeah, I think this movie is very impressive and mm. I also cannot wait to watch it again. I agree with everything that you guys said. So with that, let us give our Millennial Falcon rating out of five stars. Willoughby, how many stars out of five would you give Avengers Endgame? Five out of five. Okay. Anya, what do you give it? Um, Paddington 2. Think of Paddington 2. Yeah, but I actually... But Paddington 2 was a perfect movie. Yeah, I actually have the first of this movie like the comedy with Thor and stuff. So I'm going to say four... Okay, and I give it 4 out of 5. So, that makes it a 4.5 out of 5 rating from the Millennial Falcon. Still a pretty good rating. Pretty good. All right, and with that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Hey, Willoughby, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? Um, I watched a little film called Someone Great on Netflix. It's the new rom-com from the creator of Sweet Vicious. Um, I'm blanking on the name. I apologize. Um, but it stars Gina Rodriguez as a woman who has recently broken up with Lakeith Sansfield um, and has uh, her two best friends 
like sort of have like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off final like hurrah for all of them to try and just have like you know a fun day out as well as try to score tickets to this music concert that they want to go to and it's a really great like um film in terms of its soundtrack and in terms of its film chemistry and i really appreciate the like flashback sequences that it does to showcase the relationship because like the movie starts with her breaking up with lakeith stanfield so they do a good job of showcasing like where wherever she goes there's like one moment where she has like a flashback to a moment either at the same location or just a phrase or something like triggered her memory of of like a certain scene with him and i think that the movie just uh is pretty is really fun and a, a really nice enjoyable rom-com netflix has sort of been doing their rom-com thing it's sort of like an anti-rom-com because it's not no one ends up together like they don't come back together at the end like spoiler alert but it's like about her like moving on and um moving out and it's it's good i liked it a lot it was really funny um the the three main leads have excellent chemistry and it's just it's very 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 good i will say that the there's a specific moment where supercut by lord place and it's like oh that's just all i'm gonna be listening to that this week amazing yeah i want to check it out it looks good i've heard good things about it too yeah it's very fun all right anya what is your really like this week so my really like, um, last weekend I was in New York, got to spend some fun friend time with HT and friend of the pod, Mike, and also friend of the pod, Joe. Yeah. Um, however, as much as I love these people, they're not my really like. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, I love you, but you <laughs> not get this honor. <laughs> <laughs> because I was in New York to see the love of my life in person for the very first okay. time. Okay, I guess I figured this as much. <laughs> and it was one of the greatest nights of my life. Um, so I went to New York to see an early screening of The White Crow, which is the new film directed by Ray Fiennes. And the movie screening was followed by a Q&A with Ray Fiennes, who again, love of my life. Um, so two parts. The movie itself is very good. It is um, uh, the story of Rudolf Nureyev, who uh, was a Russian ballet dancer during the Cold War, and he decided to defect from Russia uh, during the Cold War. And I think the movie is beautiful um, and a triumph and very different from the first two films Ray Fiennes directed, which shows that you know he, he can play in different genres and different tones. Um, and I think this is his best directed film to date. Um, the main actor who plays Rudolf Nureyev is a dancer. He had never acted before in his life. Um, and he does a wonderful job. Um, and also clearly his dancing is superb. Um, but the movie is just very beautiful and it, it explores the ideas of, of freedom and what freedom means and, you know, how far you're willing to go for that freedom. And I just think it's a very beautiful film. Um, so I highly recommend that. It's out in New York and L.A. right now, and I believe will be expanding to more cities in the coming weeks. Um, and then the Q&A with Ray Fiennes afterwards was also wonderful. He is just as handsome and attractive in person as ever. He is endlessly charming and thoughtful and extremely humble and, like, full of humility. He's, he's very he's embarrassed easily. It's very adorable. Um, and I just love him a lot and I'm waiting for him to get his Oscar and I think he is one of the greatest actors and I just have such a big crush on him and I just have a lot of feelings about Ray Fiennes, you guys. 
no, I guess I, I figured I would never be able to beat Ray Fiennes. It's okay. I like, even my girlfriend has a hard time beating Ray Fiennes sometimes. So, <laughs> you know. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, when you were saying, like, you, you went to visit the love of your life in person, I was like, isn't she in Japan? I was like, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You went to Japan for a weekend? I mean, I would, but also Ray Fiennes. Hey, I went to other love of my life. For, for dealing with uh, Ray Fiennes as a competitor. You you would go to Japan for a weekend for Ray Fiennes. I bet. But would I go for Japan for a weekend for my girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> Philippa, if you're listening, yes, I would. I love you. Please never doubt this. Moving on. Please, HT, talk about your really like. I need to move off of me now. <laughs> Well, um, the Tribeca Film Festival has started in New York, and uh, this was the film festival that um, I, co- I covered last year, and it was the very first film festival I ever got to cover as a movie reviewer. It was very exciting for me, and this year I do it as a full-time writer at Slash Film, Slash Movie Critic, Slash New York Resident, and it just feels, um, it's really exciting to uh, do the, to come here come back here a year later and have all this these life changes but that's not what I really like I just want to highlight uh, my favorite film at the festival so far and that is House of Hummingbird at um directed by Bora Kim she's a first-time filmmaker and uh this is a coming-of-age film set in 90s South Korea that uh, follows a young 14-year-old girl who feels neglected and yet yearns for some sort of validation or love from either her friends, her crushes, her family, and um, kind of ends up getting it in her um, cram school teacher who she finds a fellow lonely soul in. And it's this wonderful, meditative, quiet, affecting film that um, ta- takes a look at you know the cracks in society and people who kind of fall through those cracks. Uh, the the my the main girl Yuni, who is played by uh, Ji Ji Park, is um, from a middle class or work, rather a working class family, and uh, her family is kind of on the fringes of society and feel they feel neglected. But she also is sort of um, neglected by her family in turn, and uh, it's a really interesting, really beautiful film about um, sort of like the vicious cycles of abuse that are ingrained in. South Korean society and um, how this young girl is just sort of navigating her rocky adolescence as well as the sort of abusive um, setting environment that she is in. And uh, it reminded me a lot of my favorite film of last year, which was Shoplifters. Um, if you liked Shoplifters, uh, just think of this as maybe it's sort of like a continuation of the story of the young girl in Shoplifters who gets... Um, quote-unquote kidnapped by the main family uh and like this this is kind of what she her her life would be like growing up in her her house her parent with her parents her biological parents rather so it uh it's a really lovely affecting film i highly recommend it if you get the chance to check it out um it's showing currently at the tribeca film festival but i hope at some point that it will receive a wide release in the u.s um, and remind us of what that film is called again. House of Hummingbird. House of Hummingbird. All right. So speaking of that, 
If you guys have any thoughts you want to share with us about anything we have discussed in this uh, very long but justified episode, um, like Avengers Endgame or movies like Someone Great or House of Hummingbird, um, or if you've seen The White Crow, uh, come chat with us about all these movies and more. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on the internet if you search for us on Facebook or at or on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at HTrendBowie on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs crying about Steve Rogers on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.